Support for Refined by Fire comes from Elkhart Brass and Elkhart Brass's Season 2 of Brass Tacks and Hard Facts. I can't wait for the series of videos to come out. We've got some of the most respected names in the game. Ray McCormick, Dave McGrail, Daryl Liggins, Dennis Laguerre. These guys that are like not just social media, flash in the pan kind of guys, uh, but legitimately some of the most influential, impactful fire instructors in the world of engine work. So go to the Elkhart Brass YouTube, go to their Facebook page and check out the trailer. Season two is going to drop very soon. Uh, so get jacked for it. While you're there, just scroll through their feed. Check out all the great events and departments and people that Elkhart Brass is supporting. It just makes it more and more apparent every day that Elkhart's the gold standard in firefighting equipment, nozzles, monitors, appliances. All right, so go check it out. Get ready for season two of Elkhart Brass's Brass Tacks and Hard Facts. This is Steven Tyler, and I'm here with James Johnson, William Knight, and Rob Fisher. This is going to be an experiment. This is a co-opted version of James's The Built Environment on Fire Engineering Blog Talk Radio and my podcast, Refined by Fire. Uh, so we're doing this together uh, because the four of us somehow ended up on a group together because we're all into building construction. Will has has started a Facebook page called the Roof Perv or the Roof Perv, and we will get into how to properly pronounce this word in a little bit. But just a little a little background on some of the stuff we'll be talking about tonight. So last year in 2017, uh, I was posting a bunch of pictures on my Instagram account of different types of roof systems, and I don't know. I think I probably co-opted the term from someone else. I, I doubt that it was my original idea, but I, I was using that word or that term roof perv like in the captions or the hashtags of these photos. And pretty soon William Knight uh, jumped on uh, in some, uh, some of his photos and, and he's much more loquacious than I am and had much more information and actual take home lessons from these from these roofs that he was looking at. And then James Johnson uh, was doing the same thing. So we all kind of got together and, and, and dragged Robbie Fisher into it. And, and so we are all part of a, a Facebook page called The Roof Perv. And being that James and I both do a couple of podcasts, we thought that this would be this would be a fun way to, to get together and uh, talk about this stuff for everyone to hear. So uh, I think first and foremost, let's let's do definitions. I always like to define the terms, so we'll start with with Will because because William, you you started the page. So tell me in your words, what is a roof perv? Uh, well, I mean, you started it, but uh, I kind of I just stole it um, and started using the hashtag. But roof perv, you know, you're you're out there driving by and you see. Uh, something under construction or a building that piques your interest a little bit and you just you got to go inside and look up underneath it you, you gotta you gotta peek at it uh you gotta know what's uh what's going on in there so that's yeah that, that curiosity just gets the best of you right 
Yeah, yeah, and uh, and sometimes it's uh, it's not necessarily a place where it's open to the public to go walking around in. So there's kind of that uh, that perv nature of it where you're uh, you're doing something that maybe somebody else doesn't think you should be doing. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit maybe it's a little bit devious, right? Mostly my wife. She's the one that thinks I shouldn't be doing it most of the time. <laughs> Very good. All right, so we're uh, we're all from kind of disparate parts of North America. So um, since you've defined the idea of what a roof perv is, Will, give me a little bit about uh, who you are and where you're from. Uh, I, I live down here in Georgia. Um, I'm the, the one holdout that's not up in that northwest corner of uh, America meeting uh, Canada up there. You guys are a bunch of weirdos. Um, <laughs> True. But uh, no, I, I work down here. I work for DeKalb County. Um, it's a fire department that butts up next to Atlanta. Probably a medium-sized department. We uh, we stay busy for for our size, I guess. Cool. Uh, that's about it. Very good. All right, so let's get let's stick let's keep it American for now. Uh, Robbie, are you with us? I am. I am. I do want to know what I, I do have a question let's for William. Well, he's like, I'm in a medium-sized department. I'm like, well, well, what? I mean, when I go to compare myself, what am I like? A microscopic department? Uh, How many firemen do you have on your job? To whom are you speaking right now? It's to you, William Knight. How many firefighters on your job? Um, I don't know. Honestly, we might have 600 uh, sworn employees. I really don't. I'm not sure. Uh, we're not we're not big. I can't say we're big. We're not we're not Boston, Chicago, New York, uh, Orlando, Houston, but we're not we're not three stations and a and a horse drawn carriage. So I'd say medium. Medium spans, you know, Rob's department all the way up to. I'd say even Atlanta's a medium sized department. They're a little bit bigger than us, but it's not huge. Good. All right. So once again, we're we're defining terms. Okay. Do you, do you take issue with that, Rob? No, I, I just uh, when he said medium department, I'm like, shit, are you kidding me? I, God, he's got like 30 stations in his department, you know. So no, we got I 20. Just, we got 26. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. I'm typical t- typical man. I'm rounding up. <laughs> and typical <laughs> night, he's being pedantic about it. And yep. and you know what? I could have done that in the metric system, but I kept it. I kept it scanned. <laughs> All right, Rob. Um, so, so first of all, tell me what a roof perv is in your words, and then uh, uh, let me know where you're from. You know, I think a roof perv is somebody that really gets into and really enjoys almost beyond normal. Well, yes, beyond normal uh, construction, roof construction, particularly. So, yeah, I'm a roof perv, and uh, I'm proud of it. So, my department, I work for a uh, I guess we'll call it a small department. Um, we have eight stations, uh, 160 or so sworn. Uh, I'm a battalion chief currently, still on probation until they uh, send me back if I screw all this up. I've been in the fire service for a couple decades. Excellent. Thanks, Rob. Okay, Rob, let's... you can round that one up. It's three decades. <laughs> like 29 years, Rob. <laughs> Don't cheat yourself now. I appreciate it, William. You're old. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, so we're going to kick it up north to Canada, to James Johnson. Um, I work up in Vancouver, British Columbia. And so we're, for those of you that don't know where that is, it's, uh, we're two hours directly north of Seattle, right on the west coast. Um, like Will, I work for, a, I guess I'd say, a medium-sized department. Uh, we have about 800 firefighters. Uh, we're Vancouver's pretty urban. Um, it's uh, densely populated, I guess I could say. Uh, so we we have 42 square miles that we that we cover in the city. Um, so it's very yeah very densely populated. Uh, we have 20 stations, and uh, kind of my background with the whole roof perv thing. Um, I my background is as a carpenter and to do a lot of building construction stuff. And it's always since I was pretty much in junior high, I started working in the trades and so it's always been something that's really interests me um and then yeah just got connected with these with with you guys and um and the, the whole roof perf thing is kind of funny because uh as soon as that phrase got um tagged into it because i had to laugh because that's totally how it feels sometimes you're you know sneaking onto job sites and you're always kind of looking over your shoulder as you're you know going in and through the security fencing and and just out of a love of understanding what what the buildings are and what's going on and how much things are changing and and uh, just all the variations of things that are out there. I like that. I think that's a pretty good definition. And so I'll kind of chime in. Uh, so yeah, I'm Stephen. I work in Eagle, Idaho. It's nowhere. Don't worry about it. We're, uh, I think by Will's definition, we, we almost exist. So we're, <laughs> we're like three houses and, and 40 guys and, um, we're extremely small. So the, the roof perp thing, it kind of came because like, I don't, I don't like the word porn. Like, so I, you know, people, people tag, like, there's like a really famous Instagram account called cabin porn. It's just all these beautiful cabins, but I just, man, I don't, I don't like that word. So I don't know if to me, perv was a better word. But I was I was doing this stuff on Instagram and and one day I, I posted the roof of my church, you know, from the underside of it, and, and some friends uh, they were over for lunch that day and she was like, "Why do you use that word?" She couldn't <laughs> she couldn't deal with it, man. But uh, I think that's it, man. You're like you're taking a you're taking a good long look, man, and like and like other people aren't, so it feels kind of weird and devious. But uh, so that to me is is kind of where that that comes from. Like you just can't help it. You gotta check out what's going on underneath this roof. All right, uh, so. James, you gave us a little bit of background, like like kind of how you ended up there, right? You were you, you were grew up in the trades. Will, what about you? You you came up. Uh, you've been in twelve, fourteen years, something like that now. And what got you really into this? You know, diving into roof systems. My mom. Oh, I thought <laughs> I, I thought we were saving the mom jokes. <laughs> no. Um, so you just got that out of the way so I can say it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've been with the cab for 12 years now, but I've been perving since I was a kid. Uh, my mom, my mom was, uh, she went to, uh, school to be a draftsman, uh, or an architect or an engineer or something like that. So she always worked for engineering firms and architecture firms when I was growing up. And uh, she would take me around to places that were being built. And I, I can't remember if there were places that her firms were working on, but we used to walk through houses when they were being framed. Um, before they put drywall on, when everything was still studded out, 
Um, sometimes they'd be dried in, sometimes they wouldn't. And we would walk through and we would look at the floor plan layouts and she would explain what everything was going to be. And we would have, I, I don't know why we weren't building anything or moving anywhere or anything, but we had books like inch thick books, several of them in the house of floor plans. And I used to look at them like they were just the coolest thing to look at how houses could be built. And some of it was like maybe like dream house. Like you imagine, oh, yeah, when I when I've got a million dollars, I'm going to build a house like this. And this is what it's going to be. And you draw it out or whatever. That was me as a kid. So I was a big dork. But that translated into um, as I got older, my next door neighbor was a foreman on a frame uh, foreman superintendent. I don't he was a foreman on a framing crew. And when I was 14, he hired me to come help out uh, over the summer. I wasn't even old enough to actually work at all in the state of Georgia. Uh, so I don't know what they fudged, but that was the start of my uh, slightly uh, less than legal roof curving. So uh, I framed apartment buildings for a couple of summers, and um, I've probably forgotten most of what I learned about popping lines and how stuff's laid out and then some of the technical details of framing things, but it gave me um, better context for when I got into the fire service and started getting back into building construction again. So that's kind of, that's how I got into it. Um, for me, the way things are put together the is interesting. It's like a puzzle. It's like playing with Legos for grownups. So uh, that's that's where my interest lies. I like to see how things go together and how they come apart and whatnot. That's cool. Uh, Rob, what about you? Uh, tell us where your where your interest came from. And then you're the senior man in this group. So tell me why we should be maybe evangelizing and, and making sure that the people are paying attention to what's above them. Wow. I get to be the senior guy, so I get to set all the rules. Yes. Okay. Perfect. And I get, but I get to determine what rules you set. That's okay. The way. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm not the senior man. Oh, it's actually the senior man and the lieutenant. That's what it's like, or the company officer. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh. So how did I get into this? This is kind of funny how I got into it. I've always loved the beauty of of buildings. Um, growing up in Seattle all my life. Um. There's been a lot of change in Seattle. Um, when Seattle built all their older buildings, they didn't build them very tall. So, you know, they're three, four stories, um, some beautiful old buildings from the turn of the century. And then there's been a lot of ec economic boom in Seattle. And so they're, they're trying to preserve those buildings and build 30-story high-rises. And... Um, so we're watching sometimes, in some cases, these beautiful old buildings just be flattened. And we're watching, in some cases, where they're trying to keep the facade, the front of the building, and then build this high-rise through the center of it. So that's really kind of like where the start of my love of older buildings and, and such. Um, worked on a ladder truck uh, the majority of my career. You know, being on the West Coast, we spend a lot of time trying to get on roofs. And so you start to find the love of roof construction and what type of roof are you here and where I work you know majority of everything that I'm dealing with is lightweight panelized or such and um, so anytime you can get on an older roof and in an older area or at a class it's really cool to to kind of be on that roof so you know basically you have to as as a um, 
I guess this is kind of answering your second part of your question. If you're working on a ladder truck, I think it's in, it's imperative that you understand uh, construction and you understand roof construction and so that you know um, how your operation should go. When we look at the difference, and I'm sure we'll end up talking a little bit about it today or tonight, is that um, East Coast versus West Coast in operations. And there is a difference there. I mean, some of the East Coast departments will not even get on lightweight roofs. That's my environment. That's the only environment I have, and we get on lightweight roofs all the time. So if you don't understand the environment that you're working in, you don't understand your fire ground or your battleground, if whatever you want to call it, then you really are you're at um, you're at a disadvantage. And uh, I love what I do and some of the cool shit that I've been able to do over the years. And if it wasn't for education and and understanding what I'm doing, I wouldn't get to do all that cool shit. So if you uh, Really, if you're working on a ladder truck and you want to be able to put yourself in a position to, to affect uh, some solid uh, fire ground operations and help out with the fire attack and help out with victims and, and help out with preventing, you know, lateral spread of fire, you've got to know the building to be able to do that. So, um, you know, and this is going to be kind of weird. And how I got into this group, I posted, um, I think I, I posted a lightweight panelized roof at a wine tasting that I was at and kind of started a pretty deep conversation. And then on another time, I was out again tasting wine. So there's a theme here. Um, <laughs> I was in Walla Walla and there was this old building that had been in several times and I've taken pictures of it before and we were there and there, you know, I, I was kind of like posting stuff on the perv page and, and I wasn't at you know, one of the pervs, I was just a, a perv being a perv, I guess. And, um, and I posted this, um, uh, beautiful old building. And, uh, I think William was the first one to post, oh, this is like, uh, um, a trust, a bridge trust system and it's beautiful. And, and after posting that, you know, I got a text or a message, Hey man, we're, you, you need me a perv with the rest of us. So that's how I got in. <laughs> but, Really, my true love of building construction, even though it's kind of gone through all of these, it really came from um, a buddy of mine that works on Truck 105 in L.A., uh, Walter uh, Kobilka. And he, Great dude. Awesome. Awesome, Greg. I love Walter. Guy. I mean, and, and hopefully he's listening to this show at some point. But um, I had an opportunity to get into the LAFD Leadership Academy, which is a whole other thing. But they have – the Leadership Academy at the Frank Hodgkin Center, and this is a um, this is a um, um, you know mid modern type, beautiful old building. It was built um, for the military, for the Marine Reserves, for training uh, personnel uh, going on the ships, and it was it, it, it's beautiful, absolutely a beautiful building, and Frank. Hodgkin had died on this fire back, I think it was in the 80s. I don't remember the exact date that he, he died. They fought a fire in this building. He he fell through the roof and and uh, and died. So when I was at this leadership academy, Walter and I were, because he's in L.A., we were communicating back and forth. And I'm like, how beautiful this building is and mid-modern. It's beautiful. And he's telling me, you got to go over here and take a look at this. And that's when I really started to go, and I'm, I really am a perv for construction, and, and uh, I don't really get into the newer style of construction. I can appreciate it, 
but I love old construction. So long it's story. funny. It's funny you say that, Robbie. Um, I did a class uh, probably two years ago now for LAFD, my tilt-up class, and we did a walk through um, that training center. And we, um, you go into kind of the gymnasium part. And it's a huge and just absolutely incredible roof. So the uh, training captain who was walking me through, he was he kept talking and kept walking, and he looked back, and I was probably fifty yards behind him, just <laughs> snapping pictures like crazy of the of the roof there. It's incredible. Yeah. Which is a very unique roof construction, probably the largest one in, in, in the country, maybe even the world. I don't know. Um, that, that summer bell that they've got in there, James, I'm going to let you, is it, do you, is that what you're going to, what we're going to call it? Uh, yeah. Or like a lamella. Yeah. yeah lamella, gonna... lamella, I think is a technical term. I think out the west, we yeah. call it a, a summer bell. I'm not sure why, but yeah, uh, if you ask, but if you asked LA, I think they would refer to that as a summer bell a lot of times. Yeah. And so if anyone's listening that's not familiar with either of those terms, it's basically like um, an arched roof that's um, it's a series of diamond shapes, basically, with no bottom cord or anything. It's just absolutely – for the time that they were built, like the engineering kind of that went into it, that's absolutely an incredible roof. And they're just beautiful to look at from the underside. I tell you what, I'd pay money to see an old video because you don't see this. I mean, they're, they're not building that roof any longer, but I'd pay money to see an old video of how they built that thing. Because when you're looking underneath and you're going, wow, how did they attach all of these pieces? Because it's got to go together one by one. It's not going together because it is a geometric form that's over your, your over the top. So it's not like, hey, put this section in and then add this section and then tie those two sections together. It doesn't work that I'm- way. I'm Googling pictures of Lamellas right now. <laughs> of course you are. We'll definitely, we'll definitely have, have to put some pictures up on the roof perv and, and uh, you know, like get them in the show notes of our podcast or whatever because, um, yeah, the visual on those is can be pretty stunning. Mm-hmm. I don't think I will, they're uh, using them generally very often anymore, but I think they use them in limited uh, – like architectural, like you know, when an architect wants to show something off, he'll make something out of a lamella. But lamella is just the style of the bracing, that diagonal, uh, interwoven, uh, interconnecting diamond pattern that makes an arch. Um, mm-hmm. But they, they just don't build big buildings out of it. They use it more of a, as a focus piece. I, I do have, I do have a number of pictures, and and I will, um, while we're probably talking, I will, uh, I'll get on uh, the page and I will post a picture or two that. Because I did take probably just the same as James did. I, I did take a ton of pictures of just the roof construction without my face in it. And uh, it is it is absolutely one of, you know, it is a beautiful building. But really that whole building, the history of that building, um, not just from the history from America, but also the history of the fact that uh, L.A. lost one of their own members there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you can go to the classroom that he actually fell through and and – and died in and just uh it's just there's a lot of history there and and i think i look at the building how beautiful it is from the outside how beautiful it is on the inside we just do not build buildings like that anymore and um i don't know if we'll talk about trips to the other side of the pond into europe but you know there's a lot of old beautiful buildings in europe and you know sadly i don't think in the u.s we want to build those buildings anymore we're going to build them these little square you know, lightweight stuff. So that's, gosh, that gets me into a couple of things. I guess first, 
Rob, you're just kind of like effusing your love for like old buildings, and I definitely feel the same way. So let's – I want to hear from James because I, I don't know what his answer is going to be. So, James, what's your favorite kind of building construction? Like what is the thing that just really turns you on, whether it's whether it's a, a matter of engineering and it just gets your brain going or, or whether it's beauty and aesthetics – yeah, definitely a combination of both. Uh, my background as a carpenter, I obviously have a, a huge love for wood. Um, and wood... <laughs> He's Canadian, come on. <laughs> but I just, um, I definitely, I definitely think that as a medium of building, it is just incredibly beautiful and so versatile. And, um, and uh, like West Coast is obviously much younger than the East Coast is. Um, and so our construction, like in Vancouver, Vancouver kind of like 1880s. It's kind of like our range of some of the buildings that are still left. That's kind of the older range. Um, but some of the old um, old wood or kind of, I guess you'd say, mill constructed buildings are just, I, I love that stuff. Just the history of it. Uh, interesting thing with Vancouver and being on the West Coast is like the the amount of lumber and just the forest here is incredible. So like you go into some of those older, like late 1800s, early 1900s buildings and all the, most of the floor systems in those buildings are all, um, it's actually a, basically what mass timber has become now where they'll have, um, eight inch or 10 inch solid, um, dimensional lumber all stacked on edge the whole length of the floor system. So your whole floor system is basically, you know, 10 or eight inch dimensional lumber, just stacked, laminated all together. And just thinking about the amount of work that that stuff took to create is just incredible. Hey, real quick question though, for you, James, you know, because this is, this is part of like the building construction and it's like, you use the materials that you have plentiful to your area. I mean, that's why the West Coast, there was a ton of wood over here, San Francisco, Washington, you know, all the way up the coast. They used wood for everything, right? And majority of these cities had major fires that destroyed their entire cities. It took them a couple times to figure out, hey, <laughs> you know, wood buildings are going to burn down and we're going to lose the entire city. And city of Seattle, 1889, lost theirs, San Francisco, so on. Did Vancouver or any Canada, you know, West Coast Canadian cities, major cities, did they ever have a major fire that they lost the entire city? Yeah, we too, had. Too cold for we, anything to burn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, igloos don't burn that well. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, 1886, we had the Great Fire in Vancouver that basically wiped out what, you know, the original city. And that was the same year that the fire department um, started. So everything that's Vancouver Fire all says 1886. And it was as a result of that great fire, they basically started a, a formal fire department after. That's, I think that's pretty much the tone for a lot of, I mean, minus the San Francisco Fire Department, but, you know, Seattle, same thing. I mean, Seattle lost their entire, or not their entire city. They lost probably half of the city in 1889 and they had a volunteer fire department and all of a sudden as soon as that was done they're like oh wait a minute let's let's have our let's, we need to restructure and create a fire department because we, we need to do better next time atlanta burned uh, the whole city burned due to an arsonist back in uh i don't know the mid 1800s this uh some guy came through just like burning a trail all the way to savannah 
You guys remember that? Yeah, we got it. <laughs> we, we, we haven't forgotten that, by the way, down here. Oh, yeah, well, good. Don't forget it. Don't forget how that's going to go for you guys. You start acting up. <laughs> I think the interesting thing with that is um, when we get on the topic of building with wood, and I know in the media a lot lately, it's been talking about mass timber and creating these you know high rises or large timber buildings a lot of people revert back to to the examples from those great fires that basically the conflagrations that wiped out entire cities um, but construction is vastly different today just with the fire protection me- uh, measures that are in place and um, even the exterior cladding and the and the roofing materials everything is from that aspect is significantly different Oh yeah, water supply, fire departments, logistics, and and uh, infrastructure—all that stuff makes a big difference in preventing uh, even a large fire from becoming a, a conflagration. Well, nowadays I think we consider a conflagration fire like if you lose a complex, meaning like an apartment complex. You're like, well, we lost three buildings in the complex. I cannot think of in in the United States that we've had any major fires or it's like, well, it took out a block of buildings or something like that. Can you guys? Nothing urban, uh, maybe some ur- wild and urban interface stuff. There yeah, was one in, there was one in San different. Jose, one in San Jose. Um, I don't know how long ago it was. Um, some of the guys I do some stuff with um, are from San Jose and they had one where it took out a few, I think it was a couple city blocks Um just one building after another. That's kind of one of the bigger ones that come to mind. Well, James, when you're talking about the mass timber and some of the misconceptions with that, uh, I want to get back to that. So, so kind of bookmark that in your heads, guys, because that's something I know that's important to all of us is some of the fear that surrounds the way that we talk about building construction. But before I jump into to that and addressing that, I want to get with with Will and, and see what his his favoriteest uh, building construction type is. Oh man, I didn't even think of a answer to my own question. Um, I don't know if I have a favorite type. Um, I, I like the architecture. I like the exterior. Like um, like Rob was talking about with buildings that just look amazing from the outside. I love driving through the city of Atlanta. Atlanta has amazing architecture. Uh, some of the buildings are, uh, you know, they can't be any older than the 18, uh, mid-1800s anymore. But, you know, some of them are turn of the century. Um, a lot of them are um, a lot of uh, hand masonry, stone stuff. Um, they, uh, I like really cool, interesting buildings that have different stuff that you can tell was put together with thought of how the outside looked. Um, I don't know that I have a particular construction type that's my favorite, um, but I, I really I love the old stone churches that kind of look like a castle. We have several of those in Atlanta. These mm-hmm. really old uh, Baptist churches, um, a lot of them ha- have historical value. Um, a lot of them uh, were and still are historically black churches. Um, have deep ties to the. Uh, a lot of the civil rights movements, a lot of the civil rights leaders were, uh, um, uh, they either went there or they preached there. So they have a lot of culture behind them. It's not just a building. It's a building with a life. Um, I think that's, that's another thing that, that draws me to 
architecture and building construction is that it's not just something just kind of sticking up above the ground. It's something that has history and and things that are attached to that. So that that's me. That's pretty good. Rob, do you have a particular favorite or is it just anything old like you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my, my particular favorite is anything that's on fire. Mm. And then, mm, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, in all seriousness, uh, I think William brought up a, an awesome point in that um, I really, new or old, I mean, I would say I, I fall more on the older side. And not, I don't, I don't consider myself old. So first of all, let's start there. But I love older buildings because they have a, um, they have a personality that I just cannot relate with the newer buildings, if that makes any sense. So when you look at a newer building, it is when they want to make something fancy, they just say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to squirt liquid plastic into a mold and it's going to make a gargoyle. And I'm going to make a hundred gargoyles and they're done in, in two hours and we can put them on the building. But when you look at an old building, you look at a gargoyle that's on a building and uh, been to Chicago and some old places. We have some beautiful old buildings that were built a long time ago. And as I travel through um, Europe and such, and you look at these really old buildings and if you really just sit there and you take it all in and you, you, you think about the, what did it take for them to do this, to make this, to make that gargoyle? You know, in, in today's society, we have no effing clue of, and I, I say that generally because I know that there's some really good craftsmen that are out in the world today. But we, uh, generally speaking, we cannot appreciate the amount of time and effort and art and craftsmanship that goes into making some of these old buildings. So um, that's why I you know, I would say that I, I like to, to fall more on the older side. And it's not just because I don't want to change. It's because I appreciate the amount of effort that went into making this beautiful building. And, and like what William said is that a lot of these older buildings have a story to tell. And I think that has a lot to do with the building. You can have a new building that has um, some beautiful features to it that has, a, a, has an awesome story to tell, too. And I would be in on that. But an old building that has some incredible craftsmanship and has a story to tell, I'm in there all day long. I mean, I'd, I'd love it. I'd love it. And if it's on fire, I'd be pissed. That's why I'm going to put it out. <laughs> but you still want to cut a hole in the roof of it. Absolutely. You know, because you, yeah. you, you can always fix that hole. You know, you can't, you can't rebuild old, an old building like that if it burns down. So, uh, I, I love what you're talking about, about looking at, how they would have put stuff together. Um, you talked about the the winery uh, picture that kind of got us, got you in this group with us, um, the Charles Smith Winery Building. Yep. Um, that that truss, and for those of you listening who haven't seen it, if you go to the Roof Perv, uh, either the Instagram or the Facebook page, uh, you can scroll back. It's not far back. But uh, um, when Rob was at the Charles Smith Winery, he took pictures, perving out over there of – a uh it's, it's actually a how truss um the design was made by a guy named how and patented back in 1840 and it was used as uh trusses for bridges uh and the way that it applies tension and compression in the members was different um and it accomplished something 
that in that era they had to do because of resources. You're talking about things that they have plentiful and things that are scarce. Um, that's one of the cool things about understanding building construction is you you have to learn about the history of why they put things together a particular way, and that carries forward into modern stuff. With the Hal Trust, they built it that way because of the lack of steel that they had at the time. They had wrought iron, and the way that you produced it, it was very scarce, it was very expensive, so they used wood instead. Uh, the same thing applies now when you look at a lot of the engineered products that people are afraid of. They're used because of a certain thing that they do. They accomplish something, either for the architect, the engineer, the guys putting things together on the ground, the builder, or the end user, the person paying for everything altogether. The person who owns the property in the building, it does something for them. And that's a really cool thing about building construction that keeps me coming back and keeps me going back to the same things that look boring and normal. Like, Rob, you don't like like the new stuff as much as the old stuff. But when I walked into... Uh, a house being built down the street from my house, it may look like the same house that's being built on the next neighborhood over, but they're doing something different in this one now, you know, two years later, and I want to know why. I want to talk to the builder and find out why are you guys using this material that hasn't been used since the 80s or this technique that was used in the 90s and then went away and is now coming back. I want to know those things. That's that's what's cool about building construction for me. Well, well, I'll just I just jump in real quickly before we. You're. This goes back to the um, another point. It's like when you look at a region, and we had a conversation when we were preparing for this with my time in in Germany. It's like when you look at a region and what the resources available to them, that will tell you what type of roof construct or I'm, well, not just roof. That'll tell you the type of construction that's in the area. And um, now that's changing because now it doesn't really matter across the United States. If you're in Georgia or if you're in Seattle and you want to build a, uh, a Walmart or you know a typical large box, uh, a Home Depot or whatever it is, it's going to be built the exact same way. We go back 100 years, that wouldn't have happened. They would be built with the materials that are from that region that allow for it. And when, you know, like we have buildings here in Seattle with car decking. And I th there was a picture that was posted on our page. Uh, I don't remember if it was if it was Steven or whoever posted it. But um, two by fours that were making a wall. Literally, mm -hmm. it, it was yeah. it was it was the entire wall. It was two by fours gang gang nailed together, making a wall. And, and most people, especially today, you're like, that's absolutely a waste of material. Well, mm -hmm. in 1890, that wasn't a waste of material. You know, that, that was typical construction. There's a lot of buildings here in Seattle because there was, we were, had so much wood here that the roofs are built with two by six, um, true cut two by sixes gang nailed together as the roof or as a wall or whatever and you're going man that is a lot of beautiful old wood yeah it is so there is something to be said about where we're at today and where we were back then and the resources that we would use to be to build something yeah and and now um sometimes there is some variance around here uh based on uh what you can get easily to the job site so 
it's not necessarily, hey, do we have a bunch of forests around here to cut things down? But now it's more of the logistical troubles of getting, uh, oh, I've got a trust manufacturer that's a few miles away, so getting them shipped here is no big deal, versus I've got a Home Depot around the corner or a lumber yard around the corner that doesn't necessarily make trusses, but they got lots of uh, sawn lumber, and maybe that's easier. Uh, sometimes that does play into effect um, in, in our area here in Georgia. And then a lot of it comes down to cost, too. Like uh, last year, I was in the Sacramento area, and they were doing some kind of big box stores. And they were building a number of buildings in this development. And on one corner, they were building one that had a straight steel roof, like OpaWeb steel joists, uh, Q decking or corrugated decking on the top. And then on the other side, um, there was a building that was a little bit ahead of that one. And they had a wood panelized roof on it. And talking to the two job sites, just it's the same developer it just came down to what was most cost effective at that time, too. Mm-hmm. So that kind of all comes into play with it. And Will, one of the things that you kind of brought up a few minutes ago talking, you kind of talk about um, some of the new stuff with the fear. That's one of my favorite things about um, kind of the roof perv page is something that I think we all kind of feel about it is is that educating or trying to provide some resources or material that kind of debunks some of that fear. That's one of my favorite parts of it, uh, along with the fact that we don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, but I think that's kind of, you know, something that came to my mind thinking about that was that's one of my favorite parts is that it's it's like, hey, this is what we got. This is what's happening. This is, you know, these are the things that maybe you should be concerned about, but there's lots of things that, that people... Um, Maybe we use the word fear a lot, but people fear or reluctant to, they misunderstand. to work around. Yeah, and, yeah, that's that's the perfect way to put to put it is they misunderstand it, and and that's kind of one of my favorite things about that, and um, kind of what what the page is doing. I I I believe, and I hope that's coming across. Hey, so we've been, uh, Stephen's been asking all the questions here. So that same question you asked us, Stephen, about what's your you know, the kind of stuff that you love with construction. What's that uh, for you? I don't answer questions, James. I just ask <laughs> hey, them. hey, this, this is a co-recording uh, co, uh, here. Right. This is on your the turn. other end for the first time. This is your hey, turn. Hey, wait a minute. I'm the senior guy, right? You yes, will sir. answer these questions, yes, Stephen. Sir. You will. You I, hear me? If Robbie, if Robbie <laughs> says it, I'll, I'll, I'll have to abide. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm much in the same vein. I like old stuff. I was I was raised in suburbia and uh, and so urban buildings are just really cool to me. So just from an aesthetic point of view, I love the way they look. I love um, that they're old and they have history, much like Will was talking about. Kind of wonder what the different iterations of this building have been from the time it was built till the time that I'm sitting in it. Um, but from a, a fire fighting perspective, you know, I think again, like Will said. Immediately to me, it's a puzzle. Like, okay, why? Why was it built that way? And then trying to spot everything, every renovation or every addition or where they took something out and now there's a steel I-beam in there or you know what I mean? Just everything that's been changed about it. I love trying to put the puzzle together. And unfortunately, that's usually a lengthy (laughs) process. So I go to lunch with with my bride or something like that, and I spend the majority of it 
putting the puzzle together. But uh, I found if I include her in the puzzle, it at least works a little bit better. Okay, this is what I'm looking at. I see all this steel up here. I don't think it's original. You know, look and look and see if you if you can find anything that looks newer than you know 1912 when this building was built. Uh, so that's what I that's what I really like doing. That's awesome. my, my wife's eyes glaze over. She just. <laughs> I, I can't do that with her. She she knows she tolerates it, but there's no uh, there's no roping her into it. Hey, Will, one of the things that I've loved is uh, some of the posts that you've done or or pictures you've shared with our group is um, is you with uh, with your kids actually on the site oh, yeah. too, and that's I I love that because from the time my little guy Jacob was probably I don't know probably three or four he was. We'd drive past past job sites. He'd be like, "Dada, dada, stop and take pictures. Stop, take pictures." <laughs> so I, I, I love that. I love seeing those um, kind of that interaction that you guys have. Well, I I enjoyed it so much when I was a kid. I figured they would too, and they do. Uh, they they play with Legos and they build things and they're creative and they, um, I I can tell them a little bit about how stuff that goes together. And I got a four year old and an eight year old. Eight year old certainly gets a lot more of it. Um, the four-year-old's just happy to be out doing stuff, running around. He's he's feral, so um, he's dangerous to have on a on an open job site. Uh, he'll go walking off of something or into something or step on a nail. But the eight-year-old is a I can do a whole lot more and show him a whole lot more and do a little more perving. And for him, it's an adventure. It's something that he knows we're not necessarily supposed to be there. So he feels like he's sneaking around and getting to do cool things with dad. Uh, and hopefully he's picking up a little bit of that that love for building and architecture and and the uh, the art of it, how things go together, and just that discovering that inquisitive mind. Even if he never goes into the fire service, just always wanting to know how things work. Um, so yeah, I have a blast, and so do they. I think this might be a little bit kind of off the rails a bit but it's kind of that whole thing about like you know talk about food and with kids and knowing where their food comes from it's kind of interesting to to bring up kids that way too where you understand like the house that you live in or the the things that are created how they're created and kind of you know there's a lot of work that goes into these things and there's people that are craftsmen who build these and they spend a lot of time training so it's kind of cool to show that aspect of it too to to our kids yeah to build that appreciation for other people's hard work going into the creature comforts and the things that they sit on and sit in all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got a question. How do we get the fire service to do that? Um, I do it by force. Um, uh, whether, whether people want to do it or not, they're going to, they're going to purge with me. Uh, they can sit in the truck if they don't want to come inside. Um, but I, I, I will drag, uh, Everybody in the apparatus, I, I drive, I'm, I'm the assigned driver for Engine 20 um, on A-Shift, and we're, we're going to go, look, I, I, I sometimes I'm nice about it, sometimes I just make a right turn and we go in the neighborhood and go look. Um, so I try to be considerate about other people if they got stuff to do or they hadn't eaten or whatever, but if we're out and about uh, and I want to look at something, I'm going to look at it. I've been that way for since you since they put me behind the wheel of an apparatus hey robbie i got a question for you um said so kind of the timeline has changed obviously you've been in the fire service longer than uh than the uh, the rest or the other three of us i won't i won't tell everyone that i was three when you got on the fire service uh <laughs> 
Oh, what well, I just did. Um, but do you have on a serious note, have you seen um, kind of the knowledge of building construction change? Because um, I just demographically, you see things change. Um, do you, did you see more tradesmen or more people that were um, kind of that blue collar coming up when you first started? And have you seen kind of a transition? Oh, man, you're just walking me down this road, aren't you? Um, yep. I would say, and this is going to be hopefully, I mean, this is going to be a tough thing to say, but I would say the fire service took a really difficult turn uh, in the 70s and 80s. You know, it used to be the, 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 the profession in the early days, this is not when I was on the job, of course, is that you were a tradesman first, and I use tradesman as in just you, you were in construction, you were a plumber, you were whatever, and you were a firefighter. And, and when I came in in the uh, late 80s, that started changing, and and uh, and um, and there's good and, ba- and bad with it. One, it changed because the the fire department started getting stronger and stronger, um, lobbying for firefighter benefits and such. Changed that it made the job better than what it used to be, and so it started drawing a different clientele. And and now you know when I was in high school, we didn't have. Uh, Votec programs for firefighting. Now, I think just about every high school program, at least in the state of Washington, and I'm assuming in, in surrounding states, have some type of firefighter Votec program. So what we're seeing, I think, is um, high school kids that get into high school and they're looking for what they want to do in life. And they're like, oh, I want to be a, I want to be a fireman. And they just that's what they start in high school, and they go through the Votec program. And uh, they learn the love and they get to visit fire stations and like, oh, this is awesome. I want to be this. And what's coming in the fire service today, and I I say this generally, is majority individuals that wanted to be a firefighter since uh, they were in high school, never did anything else. Uh, Maybe they were working at Taco Bell, flipping some burgers or Taco Bell, you know, doing some tacos or whatever it is. And so we're not seeing uh, firefighters come in like they used to in the sixties and the seventies having that tradesman background. So, um, it's different today. And I think it's more of a reason why when you look at a plate, when you look at like what we are really into, like the being a roof perv, it's more important for us to get. And that's why I was kind of like with William, you know, like, uh, I wish we could get the fire service on it because if you understand if you were to look at the military, and I'm going to get on this, hopefully I'm not going to go too far down this rabbit hole that William wants us to go down to, but if, if you were to look at the way we are fighting wars, the military adapts and the military needs to adjust to the battleground that they're in. The fire service, we struggle at that. And if we cannot get our members within our organizations to have a desire to understand the battleground that they're in. And I, and I understand that we do 80% EMS, but we still have 20% or 25% in some departments of fire. And we can't just say, ah, you know what, we'll just worry about it when we get there. That's going to kill you. That's going to kill you. So I want to find a way to motivate firefighters in, in our profession today that are coming in without any trades backgrounds to go, what the hell is this? How is it going to kill me? 
what what can I do to prevent myself from getting hurt? I I think um, there's two pieces to that. The first is um, the new guys. They they're still, in my experience, new guys that come on in in, in my department. Um, they're still open enough to realize that they really have no context for understanding, uh, unless they come from a construction background. Um, the ones that come in off the street with have never done anything with their hands before. They don't necessarily know how things are put together, but they're open to learn. Uh, the trouble is when you get guys who have been on the job for a while and have learned and, in air quotes, know how things are put together. But what they have learned is what they've been told for 10, 15, 20 years about construction. Uh, not necessarily that they've actually done it. Some of them have. Some of them, guys that have been on the job for 20 years, might have done construction either at the, before or at the beginning of their career. Uh, and they know what they know from then. But they, the current stuff, they only know what they've been told. And that's the trouble that like James's work really works on those guys telling them, Hey, what you've been told is not necessarily what is current and true about this building construction. And so, uh, the new guys you're teaching them from scratch and the old guys you're having to unteach them. Um, and the old guys don't, you have, you have to first show them or get them to come to the realization that they don't know what they don't know. And, you know, the new guys coming in already know that. They already know that they don't know everything. The, new, the, the guys that have been on for a little while have to be brought to or have to come to the realization that they need to continue to update the, their learning, that they can't just go everything that's out there. New stuff is all lightweight. It's going to collapse and kill you. We can't go on it. We can't go under it. We can only be in there for three minutes. Uh, stuff like that. That's the struggle. Yeah, Rob, uh, working in the training division on my tiny, barely existent department, uh, I, I understand what you're getting at there. And it's a, it's a talk I've, I've recently had with, with my chief, who was a, a fireman in a, in a different department in Southern California for a long time. And, and when, when my boss and I are, are driving around town in our pickups, he's, he's quizzing me. He's like, okay, ceiling, no ceiling. Um, you know, uh, what's the best access for the truck on this on this job? You know, uh, what do you think? Is that lightweight or conventional? Just as we're driving, how many by. times does he ask you about a plenum space? <clears throat> we talk about plenum. we talk about lots of plenum spaces, bro. Plenums. Um, <laughs> is that like a? Can you? Hey, James, can you? How do you say? Is it aluminium? I'm not from Australia. <laughs> okay, well, I think I thought all of you guys from the Queensland said aluminium. I was curious how you would say pluminium, pluminium. <laughs> I was, I mean, this is kind of the reason why William's bringing this up, and I don't mean to cut you off, Stephen. No, like, bring it. This is this is what I didn't I didn't buy into in our truck class, and um, well, the one that William and I were into, and and you know of Stephen, and and I like plenum. Every space was called a plenum, and I like. You know, I'm going to argue that because I don't think every space, a void space, was a plenum. I think that plenum is where your know, conduit goes or ductwork goes or anything. So, so that got us on a side note. But I don't like the word plenum. Be honest with you. I don't like it either, uh, and, and that may be out of my hands. 
But uh, <laughs> well, so, well, the so interesting thing about of, a plenum, yeah, go ahead. The interesting thing about a plenum, for the most part, in modern construction, they're all protected spaces. Like yeah. a lot of them will have two layers of of uh, type X through it, right? So that's a different animal altogether than than a void space somewhere else. James, settle this for us. Define plenum. Well, it's and like for a, that's basically like my in my experience or you know I'm north of the border so you know everything's a little bit different here but a plenum space is basically where you your utilities run for the most part that's the only time that we would ever use that terminology thank you james i appreciate you um I appreciate you for that. I really do. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> we yeah. all, all three of us actually. We, yeah. we all appreciate the that four of us. The four of us are all going to agree on that uh, because because that's what that is, um, and it's defined. <laughs> it's defined in code and, and things like that. Um, but it speaks to a larger problem that we have, which is that we, uh, probably more so than anything else in the fire service, we have dissimilar terminology for building construction. When we say plenum, it means something to someone uh, in Vancouver and something to someone else in Southern California. Or we say the word attic and to someone maybe in the Northeast, that means a finished space. Or to someone on the West Coast, it means an unfinished space. And the same with a basement versus cellar or bowstring, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it, it, it ties into kind of what Rob's talking about. I, I think that those two things are connected. Like, first of all, how do we make sure that people want to be a roof perv? And then secondly, how do we manage this dissimilar terminology, right? They're both things that have to happen at a very, like at a very low level. Um, but it has to be supported by like, by having that common terminology. So when you say like, hey, new guy, like, what is that? And he calls it an attic. Every single guy in the station is like, no dummy. Like, that's that's the plenum or, or whatever whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? You know, the one you left off, though, is one of my favorites. Bring it. Cockloft. Cockloft, yes. <laughs> we on the West Coast, because I don't know why, but we don't use the term cockloft. But you go on the East Coast, so like, oh, you're talking about the cockloft. Like, yeah. What, what do you call what do you call the the space above the rafters but below the roof, or above the ceiling joist below the roof on a flat roof? Well, uh, well, that's the, see, that's the problem, and that's why, I mean, I think this is what Stephen's talking about is that our terminology we don't want to have the same terminology. We want to have this East versus West terminology. We want to have this U.S. versus the rest of the world terminology. And so we don't have it. You know, plenum to me, when I came to the truck academy, I knew what a plenum space was. And then yeah. and when I'm in this truck academy, everything that was, a, will just say generally speaking, was a void space above the ceiling was called the plenum space. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not because we're, we're confusing, you know, what is an attic? What is a cock loft? What is you – know, we can't just say it's a plenum space. The, the plenum yeah. space in building construction is – is clearly defined just like girder. Yeah. Girder is, you know, that's going to be on a oh, whole other tangent. Oh wow! But <laughs> but, but my point, See, I mean, we're getting into inside stuff where the the three of us, maybe even the four of us, know what's going on. But everybody listening is like, "What the crap is he talking about?" But the point, the point that I want to f the follow up on, and this continues the conversation, is that 
terminology is so important. And one of the things that um, really drew started, I mean, I guess this would be another part of my story of getting to this point is, is bowstring versus ribbed arch and the argument there. And, you know, that started my journey of actually looking into, wait a minute, something happened here. Just because you have an arched roof doesn't make it a bowstring construction. And the, the American Fire Service, I believe, changed the terminology of all arched roofs and just said, we're going to call them bowstring. Well, that's not the case. I, I mean, I got patents to show because I did a lot of patent researches to show that they weren't all called a bowstring. And I don't care. I mean, I do kind of care what we call it, but I don't care if we call it every arch roof, we're going to call it a bowstring, but they don't all act the same. And if we are going to use a term that is going to be general in speaking, you can't say, well, this one collapses in five minutes and this one collapses in 50 minutes, but we're going to call them the same thing. That, that, that To me, that's ridiculous. We shouldn't yeah, call them the same thing. Uh the 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 cynic doki is is the term for that when you take uh something and and make it uh take a specific term and use it for the general um and that that generalization of our our jargon uh well now we don't have a jargon we don't have a universal language for our trade uh we have a bunch of different languages it's it, we've balkanized our our fire service language as it spread into different regions different construction and every department has come up with its own little thing that it calls stuff. And at some point, we've got to get on the same page. And Brannigan maybe has done more than anything else to bring us back to that point. But even Brannigan has adopted some of these generalizations and made it harder to undo and be, actually get a jargon. We need a Rosetta Stone where we can all know what we're each talking about when we communicate across the U.S., on Facebook and so that we don't fight over stupid stuff because we're all talking about the same thing and don't know it. Yeah. Right. Talking past each other. Um, and, and it's, it's interesting because reading Brannigan, it seemed to be so important to him to avoid, uh, those misunderstandings and, uh, you know, to really get the fire service on, on the same page with the building construction industry. Uh, but of course those things are just, um, so ever changing and ever moving. Um, that that book just needs to continue to evolve. You know, it's a, it's a great resource. It just needs to, to continue to be an evolving document. Well, we seem to have lost Robbie. Um, so hopefully he jumps back on, but so right now it's just James and Steven and Will. We, we've talked about fear and, and some of the fear that, that uh, surrounds certain types of construction. And we've talked about it here already in the, in lightweight construction, in uh, bow strings. I mean, those are, those are some words that get people's blood pressure up um, in certain parts of the country. And for others um, who routinely operate on those types of bu buildings, that's not a big deal. So uh, starting with James, um, is there a particular type or feature of construction that actually scares you, makes you anxious, nervous, or gives you pause. Uh, I don't. I don't know if there's a tip, uh, like a particular type. 
I think there's elements like something we talk about quite a bit is obviously in construction and when lightweight conversation comes up, a lot of times we'll talk about um, trust construction or lightweight trust. And I think there's different components to it. Like um, Will and Stephen, I'll ask you both this question, like in your experience or things that you've seen, when you have a trust roof, what is the most likely um, component of that roof to fail or what will in your experiences failed first we're gonna answer in sync here i'm sure and it's the decking the decking yeah exactly so we and how how many uh how many people just automatically relate that to the whole trust construction if you look at like uh, will sends us tons of pictures all the time of of construction that's going on that's conventional framing roof framing um that decking material is is exactly the same as what's being used on uh, lightweight truss construction that's mm-hmm. your you know you're looking at a material that has the greatest surface area it has the most reduced mass and um and that's going to be the component that's going to cause you the most problems and something that i use quite a bit when i'm talking on this subject is i use a, a term where i say mass over math meaning like as firefighters we want mass in the structural members that in a building that we're fighting fire in. The things that have the least, you know, the reduced mass, that's going to be the the issue. And that's where it comes down to things like decking or, or your sheathing and things like that. So for me, it's not a particular construction type, more about different features in the building is where I'm going to focus my attention, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It, it does make sense. And um, I like that you point that out, that it's about features. Uh, all right, so we got Mr. Fisher back. You, you here with us, Rob? Oh, dude. Dude, I, I thought I had my phone plugged in, and all of a sudden I hear, I don't know what William said. He used some big word like Sudoku or something. I'm like <laughs> Sudoku. I'm like, <laughs> Sudoku. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> Hello? Anybody there? Anybody there? So, all right, so what did I miss? What did I miss? Uh, we just uh, moved on to to talk about kind of the fear conversation a little bit and then and first of all, frame it uh, by asking everyone, is there a particular type or feature of construction that makes you scared or nervous, Rob? Ooh. Um, I think Biltmore's, which is a term used by a lot of departments and, and especially from the truck side of things. So it's a built more is, well, it was this, and so we built more onto it. They and needed more, so they built more. They built, yeah, they needed more, so they built more. Um, and up in Alaska, where I've got some friends at work, they they have type six construction, which is, well, we'll build it out of anything. <laughs> so I guess, you know, I I guess the things that would, it's pretty easy in in the environment that I'm working in, which is a fairly new environment that the, the buildings are going up and. You know, there are, I've got buildings that are, uh, for the most part, they're like 40, 50 years old, and then I've got a lot of new stuff. So it's pretty easy to look at and go, I understand that. It's lightweight. I have no issue with lightweight. I don't, you know, I have, I, I don't, I don't know what we're, why we're so caught up on this, this lightweight issue so much is, I think it's, 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 it's just uneducation. People don't know, um, what it's capable of doing, but, um, Seriously, I think that when I look at a building and something doesn't look right, and I'm going, look to the ne- the next door build, the next door neighbor, and I like their building looks like this, and that house that might be on fire looks almost like that. But what is this little built off thing here? That would bother me because you don't know 
what's going on with it. But other than that, you, you put it on fire, I, I, I'm on it. I dig it. Uh, Will, what about you? Anything that makes you pee your pants? Um, nothing makes me pee my pants. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, com- com- our commercial construction down here can be literally anything. So it's a much more challenging puzzle to try and dissect um, from the inside. If you've got smoke that obstructs the view of the underside of the roof, the guys on the bottom don't know what they're working under. And unless you cut it from the top, there's no way to figure it out. And you could have anything down here uh, except panelized. That's the only thing I haven't found down here is uh, lightweight wood panelized. But, you know, think of our Home Depots and Walmarts. Think of the height of the roof, how far you're going to fall if something goes wrong. Um, Our member spacing is going to be four feet or larger. Um, Everything's going to be steel. Uh, A lot of corrugated decking. um, A lot of heavy insulation, things that take longer to deal with and get through. And I just, it's my least familiar operation. It's the thing that I've done the least and worked over the least. And I've never seen one fail in person to see how it comes apart. So where I've seen tons of houses and apartments and stuff with trusses and conventional construction and seen how they burn, how they come apart. Um, My personal experience uh, with cutting and operating on the roof of uh, our typical commercial building is the lowest. So that's, that's probably the thing that gives me the most pause. I'll say that. Hey, Steve, before I ask you the same question, um, it's something that just kind of came to me based kind of from what Robbie was saying, is I think one of the things that actually scares me the most is in my region and lots of places um, throughout Canada, um, they still like adopted the instant command system. And part of that uh, that we've kind of done is using the five types of construction for our size up. And that's one of the things that um, that has really changed over the last number of years is just the types of buildings. Like I personally believe that um, five type of construction, though you know one through five, is becoming completely obsolete as a, as a method for uh, for sizing up a building. And that's Amen. one of the things. That's one of the things. Um, like right down the street from where I live, um, and I use this example. Robbie, you were in my class this year at FDIC. I use this example, but they built a car wash, commercial car wash, right down the street. First thing that went up was a tilt-up panel wall for the fire separation to the building next to it, and then from there they did a little cast-in-place concrete core. Then from there they put in a bunch of steel columns, and then everything else is uh, wood eye joists and. Uh, parallel strand lumber beams and it's just they have literally almost every type of construction contained in that one building and just based off like experience and what guys are used to they would look at that and they would see the commercial occupancy and for the most part they what would they like throwing it out to you guys for the most part what do guys think when they see a commercial occupancy like that what kind of construction type are they going to throw out there ordinary or yeah, ordinary. Still yeah, or type three. Yeah. Type two. Here, yeah, here we'd probably look at it and say type two. Yeah, I would say the same as you. Um, for us, in an older, we would say kind of that type three. Um, and then newer stuff, we would most guys would call it type two. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of my 
one of the biggest concerns for me is that we're we're going into something and we're putting it in this tiny little box where none of these modern buildings are fitting in those boxes anymore. Can I'm going to jump on in on this so that in the city that we protect, one of the cities, it's it's a newer city. They did two and and I will call it two and a half story, almost three story, concrete tilt up buildings where they did the concrete when they were pouring the slab before they tilted it up in these trays to make it look like they have brick fronts, and then they spray-painted it. So, you know, a building that's built in 2014 that looks like brick on the outside, we got firefighters or company officers in some cases. Oh, that's a, that's a brick veneer. That's a, that's, a, that's a masonry building. I'm like, if you'd gone up and looked at it, because it's, it's a mold. It's actually concrete tilt-up. And in today's world, I mean, this is, goes to exactly what you're saying, James. It's like today's world, it doesn't easily fit into our, our types of construction. And it's very difficult, you know, within the first arrival, within, probably within the first five minutes of, of being on scene to identify what the building is. And as a BC, what I've told my company officers is I want you to focus on the problem. I want you to focus on the people. And I want you to focus on getting water on the fire, period. Let me as a battalion when I arrive, if it's a bigger building, let me figure out what the hell the type of building it is. Well, let me let me figure out the construction and all that other stuff. But I want you guys to use your skills to worry about these other things because it may take us 10 minutes into an incident as, um, as we're progressing and I'm going through pre-incident plans. I mean, really, that's the only thing that's going to determine – what this building really is and what it, how it's going to operate unless we've been in it when it was built or, you know, we have prior knowledge and let me worry about that. You just worry about the problem and there's a risk I and mean, there's a risk associated with it. Right. And well, you know what? You join the fire service and there is a risk inherent in our, in our line of work. And so I want them to focus on these things. And I, as a BC, I'm, I'll take care of the other stuff like, okay, guys, don't worry. It's a type two or it's a type three you know, at the, at, towards the end or, you know, somewhere into the incident. Robbie, what's your, what's your number one resource for determining what that riff's made of and whether or not, uh, it's cool to be operating on, under, or around it? Dude, that was like, it was a, a prompted question. Like you text me or I text you and that was the I, biggest know, softball you could have thrown him. Well, well yeah, but it, I mean, he's he's getting at it, right? Like as the BC, he's sitting yeah. out there in the buggy. He's not going to walk up on the roof and figure it out. So, so how do you how do you get that intel? Here's here. I, I tell you what, my department we use blue card, and I'm not going to get into a a debate about blue card because I've I've had my hand slapped for uh, giving my opinions about that. But the one <laughs> thing that I do like a, about blue card is that it sends a ladder on flat roofs on roofs that you cannot determine what it looks like, it sends a ladder truck to the roof and do an assessment. And I know that William has had um, debates and conversation and, and, and post back and forth on our page. But the most important thing that I can do for what is going on is put a, put a company on that roof as quickly as I possibly can. So I know on a commercial building, we had a response into an, an older section of, of where I work in the East Battalion and in a building that was built at the turn of the century. And uh, as we were going to it, the first thing I was thinking, and I don't have a first due ladder in my East Battalion. So the first thing I'm thinking is I need to get somebody to the roof. 
and uh, and I'm going to pull up the pre-incident plan as quickly as I can and manage the incident. So really what comes down to the first one is the one that can get to the roof because I'm probably not going to have the pre-incident plan open quick enough. I'm not going to be able to see all that stuff as quick as I need to while I'm taking care of everything else. Uh, if I had a driver, it would be totally different. But I have to drive, talk, and walk, and computer all by myself. I think kind of an interesting thing along with that, um, we I had a discussion recently with uh, retired uh, LAFD chief John Mittendorf. And one of the questions was um, was – who should dictate the vent plan? Should it be the instant commander? Or should it be the truck company officer? And that's kind of kind of comes into play a little bit there, where you know there's certain things that that the truck company officer or the truck guys are going to be able to determine that that the IC may not. You know, getting up getting up to the roof, and making their inspection cut is gonna is gonna give us quite a bit of intel well, very quickly. So so real quickly from the from a truck perspective is that um, as the IC, uh, let's, typically the IC is going to be on the A side of the building, so they're going to see one side, maybe two sides of the building on a larger building, and the truck is going to be able to see how many sides. They can see five sides of the building. They can, they can work around the roof, and they can see all four sides, and they can see the roof itself. So they have a better perspective than typically the IC does, and guaranteed – better than the engine company who is in a dark environment trying to stretch lines, trying to locate the fire. So the one person or the one uh, unit that can actually identify where the fire is, where it's going, how quickly it's going there is a truck company. And in blue card and in a lot of IMS systems, they say, look, it's a coordinated, ventilation is coordinated with fire attack. I 100% agree with that. And in Blue Card and others as well, they say the IC is the one that will give the will put together or will approve the ventilation plan. Well, come on, that's that's ridiculous. I want to know what the truck sees. I want to know where the truck is going, and I want the truck to tell me where the fire is going. And when they say, "Hey, we're going to do this," it, these are relationships that are built. If I've never worked with these guys, I probably wouldn't be able to say, "Sure, go ahead." I'd say, "Like, give me more information," because I've been there. But guys that I've worked with that I know, they say, hey, this is what we're doing. Make it happen and make it happen quick. So that's a tough – that's a really difficult position. And and I think that battalions or ICs that have never worked on a ladder truck or never done roof operations, they are – you know, they're in a, a position where they don't have that, that experience to be able to understand that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, and obviously I'm on board with that. I, I know – I know that Knight's on board with that. That that's just a an extremely useful way to to utilize the the ladder truck, the aerial, whatever whatever you call your people on that first arriving truck um, to get them up there and determine the the viability of the roof and therefore like the viability of the operation in general. Because it, it's a cliche, but if we can't be up on the roof, then we shouldn't have people under it. So. Uh, Robbie talked about some of the information, and you've, you you touched on it as well. But um, why don't we, for the listeners, talk about the actual information? What are the the, the bullet points that um, they're going up there, and the the piece of information they're able to relay back to incident command and interior crews? Yeah, let's hear it, man. That so 
So tell me, tell me what you're doing when you make the roof. You know, first of all, how you determine whether or not it's a good roof. If necessary, how do you determine what it's made of? And then how do you determine where you put your hole? Well, uh, talk, talk about why we go to the roof. First off, that's, I mean, that's, that's really the foundation of it. Why, why would we put a crew on the roof? And Robbie hit a lot of it, uh, information gathering. If they never, ever get on the roof, just being able to go to the edge of the roof and look over the roof and be able to see more than you can see from the ground. And, and a lot of this applies more to flat roofs and commercial roofs than it does to pitched roofs and residentials. But some of it does also apply to residentials if you can get to the peak and look on the, the Charlie side of things and see um, stuff that you couldn't see from the A side. But, I mean, being able to visualize the whole roof and see um, the layout of the building, the live loads and dead loads, um, conditions, um, all, all of that stuff that you can see without ever even putting a foot on the roof. Um, that's one of the major reasons to go up there uh, and to stay up there. I, I get, I know Mittendorf said it in your, uh, in your last podcast, James, about get up, cut, and come back down. And that's a, a pretty common attitude. Uh, but one thing that I've seen in practice, especially on commercial roofs, is that getting up and cutting in and of itself is not fast. So get up, cut, and come down isn't going to be fast either. And why should it be? If guys are still inside on a large roof, you want to have people up there continuing to offer all of that same information that they gave you to begin with. You want a continued uh, observational post up there. William, over here's, here's the problem. People visualize or people are imagining that they've cut, you know, we've cut this beautiful four four by eight holes and it's venting i mean there was that one um i don't know if it was matt's that originally posted or who posted it but it was lafd and uh there's these holes and it's venting out violent hostile smoke and mm -hmm. the truck is still on the roof and how many people mm -hmm. posted what the hell are they doing there they're just yeah, doing everybody is right and yeah, and the first thing that happens is like Oh, okay, so what ends up happening is a ladder truck goes and cuts a hole on the roof and we stand on the edge of the hole and we sit there and we like, you know, absorbing the the fire and absorbing the smoke. No, we should be backing up because who is going to know when that roof is starting to fail? It's those that are on the roof, not the guys that are on a hose line in a pitch dark environment flowing, ho flowing water on a fire. They're not going to know something that's 30 feet above them that the roof is getting brittle. But the guys that are up there that are sounding and that are like, man, this roof is not feeling good. Who is going to tell IC, pull the guys out, pull the guys out now because this is not feeling good? It's the guys that are on the roof. But mm -hmm. we have this issue across the world. But we have this issue that this having the guys on the roof, oh, it's the most dangerous position that we could put our people. Bullshit. That's absolute bullshit. And the data proves it. So that's – that's really good, Rob. And, and I guess I'm going to reframe the question a little little bit for Will because otherwise we'll end up between the four of us uh, having a vertical ventilation class and we'll be we'll be doing this talk until uh, the 4th of July. Uh, so in the in that same context of what Rob was just saying, like getting on top of the roof is the most dangerous thing we can do. 
Will, how do you stay safe on the roof? Like what is number one, what are your tools, your diagnostics? Like what keeps you safe in a, in a dangerous place? Um, building construction knowledge is first and foremost. Before you ever get on the roof, it's, it's the thing that helps you interpret the information that you get. All the feedback that you get once you get up there means nothing if you don't know what you're looking at. Uh, you could have a beautiful Bible uh, that has everything you could ever want to know, but if it's in a language that you can't read, you'll never, ever, ever be led to Christ. It, it won't matter. So that's building instruction is our Bible for being able to understand what we're getting out of the roof. Um, the, the next thing, sounding. Sounding, um, and I, I learned skirts from the Quad County Truck Academy, um, which I attended with Rob and which you were an instructor at, but uh, sounding is at the beginning for a reason. It's the primary diagnostic on a roof because it's the one thing that if you have nothing else, you can sound and find things. Um, you can get the feedback from the roof decking. Um, you can find things that aren't there that are supposed to be there. For instance, in my area, sounding a commercial roof is not going to give you a lot of feedback in your feet because of how thick the built-up material is. What you will find is a skylight. Uh, you'll find um, those fiberglass skylights that have been membraned over or painted to match the color of the roof, things like that, that you don't want to find with your feet. So sounding uh, is my primary diagnostic indicator. Um, what else you got, Rob? Well, skirts is uh, sounding, which is, is, as you said, primary. And, and that's one thing that when we have these debates over um, – you know, should the guys be up there or should, should the crews be up there? Absolutely. Because if they're sounding, they're not going to. And, and the first thing that comes through is like, you know, is, 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 um, Fresno when the captain fell through the roof and like, I'm not going to be critical of his operations. And, um, in, in my previous, well, in my, in another organization I've taught with, they've taught a lot of the Fresno guys, um, truck company operations, but, it was not good sounding and that led to that's a contributing factor of him falling through the roof. But I'd say the, the factor Pete, Pete Dern fell through that roof because he sounded with one hand and did not apply any force to the decking over that garage. I, but, I completely believe that he would have found that soft spot had he sounded correctly. The, but that leads us to the, the K of the skirts and that's known location be it yeah. the known location of the fire, but where was he on the roof? And when you, when you watch that film, you can see he's transitioning from the occupied uh, protected structure of the of the actual house, and he's transferring over to the uh, right above the garage. We can see it on, on the footage that we're seeing, but mm -hmm. in that very quick time period that he's going, if he's not sounding and he doesn't know that he's doing that, he's going to step out. So... Skirts is basically sounding. It's the known location of the fire. It's interior reports. So what's going on in the inside? Uh, what are the crews telling you that they're dealing with? It's um, um, what is what is the the construction, the roof direction. Um, and then it's utilizing our the T is utilizing our thermal imager to kind of get a a view. And then smoke indicator holes, which are the little tiny holes that we make as we're traveling, which you know, on a pitch roof that has uh, attic vents, you don't need them. But on a flat roof, you don't typically have vents for you. So it's it's a matter of uh, uh, 
uh, building those into there. So you could go for on a flat roof, massive complex, you could be laddering mid span and there's an, you do an inspection cut, there's nothing coming out of it. And you travel 20, 40 feet and all of a sudden your smoke indicators are showing you have smoke. Well, you might have just passed some type of separation or some type of firewall. So, um, you know, it, 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 I think I, I love the idea of skirts and, and how we use it on the fire ground. And it, it, it really is, is the one thing that pr- protects those that are working on the roof. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, Rob, you mentioned uh, inspection cuts. Uh, and I was trying to get at this earlier. We kind of got sidetracked a little bit. But with inspection cuts and coming back to our building instruction and kind of what we focus on with the roof perv, can you go over what what you can decipher from an inspection cut if you know what you're looking at? All the different pieces of information that your initial inspection cut, as soon as you step off that ladder and make your inspection cut, what does that tell you? That's that's a you're basically perving the roof from above. Well, what do you get from that, Rob? Your inspection cut gives you well. First of all, you're going to be laddering. In, in in most cases, you're going to be laddering away from where the where the fire is currently at. So you kind of know the location of the fire, and you're going to go opposite the location of the fire. So if I get up on a flat roof on the Charlie side of the building, and um, which is in on a commercial building, typically is the best place for a truck company to operate, is that um, one. If I get on the opposite end of where the fire is at, and I cut an inspection hole, and I've got pretty decent fire or heavy pressurized smoke coming out of that and I look across and I'm like on the very opposite diagonal there's working fire there and on the opposite you know what there this is probably not a roof that we're going to be able to operate on so initially the one thing about an inspection cut it gives you is can you even be here mm-hmm. the the second thing is building construction so let's say you cut it and you have light smoke coming out of it as soon as I get that hole made I can determine Hey, this is a panelized roof. This is a uh, a trust roof. Um, if we started the cut and we're like we're on, um, uh, I, I mean, I'll let James fill in the actual the verbiage that we would end up using up there, or what the actual stuff is. But I'm on foam board, and I got to use a knife to start cutting to it. It's like now I'm on Q deck. Likely, you know, Q deck is is likely on top of. Uh, steel bar joists so now i'm understanding the construction a little bit more before i've even done any type of cut which i'm probably not even going to cut q deck with chainsaws um maybe some departments would but um so when you i make could the try cut, I, you you can try i mean there's there's some chains out there that will cut through q decking but it, it'll it'll smoke your saws quicker but you can you know if you're on a wood roof you can like hey what's the construction i, I got an idea what type of construction is um, the other thing that's going to give me is how thick is the material that I'm on, which this is the one that gets overlooked because as majority of departments that do training on seven sixteenths, I don't know what that number is in metric for you there, James, but seven sixteenths <laughs> OSB, which is what we typically are training on, you don't even have to crisscross your cuts because guess what? When you go to hit it with your trash hook or whatever you're using, you'll just break it. But if you're on a real roof that's two inches thick with between construction and between, you know, torch down or whatever it is, you don't crisscross your cuts uh, equal to or greater than the, the, the diameter or I should say the depth of that decking, you ain't going to be moving it, period. 
And mm-hmm. experienced guys that have been on riffs will go like, look, over-exaggerate your crisscrosses. So those are the things that I pick up from the inspection cut. Um, I'll add to that. So uh, the things that I'm looking at are, uh, like you said, what is your roof decking material and what's on top of it? Uh, that's going to tell you how long it's going to take to make your cuts. When you get to where you're going, uh, how long is this operation going to take? And if you're the roof division, you need to start at that point evaluating, am I going to be able to complete this operation before this goes bad? And am I going to need additional resources to complete it or to expand it? So you need to start asking early for additional truck crews or a different saw than the one you brought up there. If you expect wood decking and you brought chainsaws and you end up with Q decking, you need to go, hey, before I get too far away from this and commit to this whole roof, I need to change my tools or bring additional tools. Um, the next thing, once you pop that thing open, is you get your member size, material, spacing, and from all of that, you can kind of have an idea of the span and the direction of travel. Uh, those are all pretty important things. When we're talking about roof perving, uh, we normally look at that from underneath, and we can tell all that stuff, but we don't necessarily think about it. When, when you get... The larger a member is, obviously, the more weight it can hold. But that also means the more weight it can hold in between members and from end to end, the span. Uh, The same with the height of things. So if you find a truss that's taller, you know it's going to be running a lot longer and or holding more weight from other members. So you might find something that's really tall and big. And that could be your beam. That could function as a beam that's going to hold up purlins. They're going to hold up rafters. And now you know, hey, I know what direction this stuff is running. You know how you need to travel. Um, you know where you need to travel to stay safe. And um, you know how, how much space is going to be in between each of these things so that when you go to cut your holes, you know where to expect uh, rafters and purlins and things like that when you start hitting stuff with your saw. And if you start finding things that are not what you expect, it allows you to then step back and figure out why, what's different than what you expected when you first started. That's what I'm looking at. I think that's really good. Um, and, and so much of me wants to, wants to dig down that, that rabbit hole and, and talk about tri span burn time, risk versus gain, percent of building involved, all, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I do think we need to, to land the plane. Uh, we're, we're coming up on a pretty long show here. Um, but I, I kind of got an idea as I was listening to, to Rob and Will there talking, you know, specifically about some of the vertical vent steps. You know, I, I think it might be cool, um, to hopefully repeat this sometime as a more, a more topical show. And maybe we opened it up to the people on the Facebook page. Like, like, what do you want to what do you want to talk about? Should we talk about vertical bench? Should we talk about, you know, some of these specific, uh, like lightweight versus conventional residential construction? Should we talk about, you know, what is an actual bowstring and dig into that whole <laughs> mess? Or like Robbie was talking about earlier with the cock loft, you know, um, or maybe they, maybe they send in photos and, and send in a photo and say, okay, like, tell me what this is and, and we can, we can dig into to some kind of weird esoteric, uh, you know, old construction. So, um, I don't know. What, what do you guys think that sound pretty good in the future? Yeah. yeah we might like have to it. do a, a version two, a 2.0 for sure. 
Definitely. I think that brings up something too, just with the, the Facebook page that we have going is um, like you said, opening it up. If you, if any of the listeners, if they have uh, specific questions that, or things they'd like to see covered or, you know, photos of stuff that they're finding in their districts or their cities, um, or if they have specific questions for, for any of the four of us, you can, you know, tag us individually to those as well. And we can try and answer questions through that or, and when I say answer questions, for me, when I get asked questions, I have like a whole list of mentors that I usually, <laughs> I usually hit back on to get, you know, their feedback too. So I definitely, I like, I'm sure you guys are on board with that as well. If people want to hit us through that as well. Yep. Hey, I just, I just really qu- quickly want to say, cause as we were going through this and we were kind of going down a, a ventilation profile or ventilation operation and, and I can talk ventilation all night long. But um, I would say that, you know, as we as you if you're listening to this and you're going, hey, man, I work on a ladder truck. I don't give I don't care if you call it a ladder, a truck, you know, whatever you guys call it. Or if you're in a department that doesn't even have an aerial device and you guys do roof operations, it's like if there's anybody in this department, anybody in the fire service that really should have a good grasp on building construction, I think it should be the truck company the BC in the engine in that order. Unless, of course, your engine is doing typically truck company operations. The you know the engine company's primary role is to get water on the fire, and they're trusting the fact that others are supporting them on that. I mean that's that's why we have divisional labor on the fire ground, and the BC really needs to. And I'll tell you right now, I the thing that's bugged me about moving to this position is most BCs don't give a shit about that, and. Um, um, and so I'm going to try to catch my tongue here so I don't get myself in any more trouble. <laughs> but but what ends up happening is you get into this IC role and you're like, oh, you know, I don't need to worry about this. I'm like, if there's anybody that really needs to worry about, it's the BCs because you're the one that has to decipher that information at 2 o'clock in the morning when crews are operating. You're the one that gets to approve all of these operations that are going on. And uh, I'm, I'm going to give, you know, I, I hope to have good working relationships with everybody that, that are working under my battalion. And they're, I know they're in a better position than I am to, to know what's going on. But I still have to take the information that I have to available to me and, and, and be able to decipher it and what information they're giving me to say, yeah, let's continue on with this. So um, building construction is super important in the American Fire Service for those reasons. That's all I'm going to say for about that. So, so if, as we kind of close this out, I want to go around, um, if you guys are cool with it, and just kind of say, um, if for the listeners, if they want to dive more into this or um, looking for specific resources for building construction, um, what do you, if we can go through kind of what resources would you um, say to, to search out? And then what are some things that, some kind of starting blocks that you would um, suggest that they start with if they're say if they're um, starting from it really green and they want to kind of dive into it so um, Robbie maybe we'll start with you if you can kind of say what the resources you would you would say and what kind of things to start to dig into <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna you know having only been a BC for about six months seven months I'm gonna fall back on my truck stuff and I'm gonna say hey pull up stuff by uh lynch brian lynch and uh, i know it's already been posted on our on our page before but understand the data 
that we are arguing about um, or debating about. I don't want to say arguing. We're debating about East versus West, uh, how many firefighters are actually being injured or killed performing roof operations. And I think that when you read his, he did really, he did a really good job doing a retrospective uh, research. And I had started on this whole thing about um, bowstring construction. I was going down this kind of, we'll call it a rabbit hole. And uh, Lynch and I had talked and I shared some of my information with him and he went down a totally different one, which was totally awesome. I mean, I wish I would have thought of this first, but he started relating the number of firefighter fatalities to these types of incidents. So I would say go to our page. I believe, William, correct me if I'm wrong, you already posted it on there once, but I would read that. And then the other thing is um, I don't know if I would read anything else right away. I would just get the hell out of your fire station, get off of the recliner, put down your iPhones, and walk some buildings. And you want to talk about one of the greatest things that one of the one of my most favorite times as a company officer I loved is, hey, we're leaving and just where are we going? Doesn't matter. Let's just leave. And we <laughs> would in 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 Seattle area we have a lot of latte stands and it's not Starbucks on every corner. It is, but it's not where I'm at. And we'd go grab uh, a coffee and we would walk a building, and I could stay there half the day talking about different things. You don't need to know every aspect of the building construction, but you can look at something and go, man, that is kind of weird. Why is this this way? Why is that that way? And um, and I think getting out and talking with your firefighters or as a group, and if you're a firefighter, you know, motivating your company officer to go out with you guys and talking about um, stuff like that, that you will make strides and at some point you will get to where we are at and you're going to look up every time you walk through a door you're going to look uh every building you go through and you're going to start flipping through books going what the heck was that what does that do when was that made you know we were talking about lamella roofs and him and william had texted me he's like look the lamella roof was kind of designed in 1908 like that's cool information that's stuff that the four of us really get into and I freaking Googled it while you were talking about it. That's all that was. I didn't know that off the top of my head. Well, no, I know that. Come on, William. But, you know, it's the it's the point that they, well, that's what I'm asking firefighters to do is, like, you'll get to the point and you're like, I've never seen that before. And you're going to want to go Google it. And yeah, then you're going to yeah, share yeah. it with everybody. And that's that that's that's progress. So that's what I'd say. Nice. Those, those are excellent words. Okay, to the one and only William Knight, what's uh, the same question to you? Um, we posted on, uh, we keep going back to stuff we posted on, on the roof perv, but, uh, like, and follow the reef perv on Instagram and Facebook, because we do post a lot of like weird stuff. Uh, I mean, that's the whole point is not to post the commonplace, but to post the stuff that maybe you haven't seen. Uh, but one of the things that we posted early on was, um, uh, Francis Ching's, uh, building construction illustrated. And the current edition, I think is the fifth edition. Oh, it's a it's a pretty thick book, but it's really really well written, um, and really well il- illustrated, and it's it, it's way better than like reading an IKEA manual on how stuff's put together. It's uh, mm-hmm. it spells stuff out. It gives you like more information than you could ever want on a lot of stuff from uh, a engineering and construction side of things. So where Brannigan is the one that everybody always goes to. Um, 
Brannigan has tons of information from a fire department's perspective, but if you want to branch out and expand your knowledge base, learn it from a different angle, and that helps you learn the why of some of the things that are going on out there. So Ching's Building Construction 5th Edition, um, that, that'd be my go-to for like, I want to go buy a book and learn about building construction because it goes in deep, deep stuff down to like foundations and soil types and uh, all the way up to like new stuff like solar systems and things like that that people have on on buildings they're building now. Um, ridiculous amount of information. Um, and it's cool to just flip through while you're, you know, using the bathroom or something. Just make it a bathroom book and learn. Yeah, I would definitely second that. Uh, Ching's book, just us firefighters for the most part being visual people. I think that's a great Mm-hmm. Um, great resource. Okay, Steve, yeah. what about you? Uh, you know, this is a tough one because it kind of depends where a person's at in their education, right? Um, I think you need to be really honest with yourself about your building construction knowledge. And, um, you know, you may have been on the job for a long time and you may have, um, you know, a lot of fires on, under your belt. That doesn't mean you necessarily understand building construction that well. Or vice versa, you may be a very green uh, firefighter who spent a lot of time in the trades and you understand it very well. So just be honest with yourself about where you're at with it um, and, and and then you know go about your education with that in mind or, or in that context. So if you're pretty green, like you do need to read Brannigan's. You really do because that's that's at least a common language. You have to establish a foundation. Otherwise, like the weird out of ordinary stuff that we put on the roof perv, like it won't make any sense to you because you don't have context for it. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, you got to read Brannigan's. Um, you have to get out into your own district because if you if you can't hear a call on the radio um, in in your fire department, whether it's you know one station or a hundred, if you can't hear a call and just know by kind of the neighborhood and the age that it was built, like what you expect on the roof, then then your building construction knowledge, or not even necessarily on the roof, but like for that entire building, the building layout, etc., um, your building construction knowledge needs some work. So you need to get out into your district and into your city, um, you know, with some people on your job who understand uh, building construction and get that hands-on. So you need the cognitive with with Brannigan's, but then you need the hands-on time in your own district. And then, like William said, kind of next level, you get into Ching. Um, I've got I've got a lot of resources um, that I can share. If you're interested, hit me up. Um, my Google Drive is pretty fat. Um, and I've got several like. Um, Truck Academy manuals from different um, truck academies all throughout the country um, that, that are you know pretty good resources for that kind of stuff as well. So just know where you're at and then uh, go about your education accordingly. Hey, Stephen. So to add to that, I do have a really cool document that I don't even know how I stole, but it came from an LAFD recruit class, and they created a strengths and weaknesses document of roof construction all the different types of roof construction. And uh, I, you know what, I'm, I'll probably just post it up on our page so everybody has access to it. Um, it's really cool because it tells you, it tells you the type of construction, tells you um, what you're looking at lengths and, and everything that's involved in it and its strengths and weaknesses from the roof. Uh, that sounds amazing. I know, I know in groups you can upload documents 
we'll see if we can do that on our on our page upload some documents if you can upload that I'll try and upload some of those truck Academy manuals as well so that people just you know it's there for them we can put it on Dropbox and then uh, for Instagram we can put the the link of it in the yeah the bio for the Instagram page and we can put the actual link on Facebook very cool uh, James what about you man what's a good resource for people to dive into I think for me, um, I'm going to echo kind of what you guys all said about getting to the getting out to the individual job sites and actually walking buildings. Uh, My experience, um, most contractors, superintendents, project managers are more than happy to walk you through the building. Um, These guys are quite proud of the work that they do. Um, And you can I, I learn stuff every single time I go. Um, so just get out, grab a coffee in the rig and, and roll out to one of these sites and the guys are happy to walk you through it. Uh, for me, that's the most valuable um, aspect because you actually get to see what's in your district and you get to kind of learn what's happening. And then the second part of it, I would just, um, I would really recommend to people just to really have a critical eye when you're looking at, um, say, information from social media Uh, for the most part, social media, Uh, just with things that are posted. um, There's so many fallacies or knee-jerk reactions to to stuff. Um, So one of the biggest resources you can do or you can have is looking up the individual manufacturers or um, lots of them will actually post um, uh, actual specifications for their products. You can find the actual uh, data for that. So that's something I would recommend is looking at that stuff and kind of really using a critical eye when people post things on social media and, and even use that for the stuff that we post um, as well. If you, if you see, Oh yeah, don't believe are... a word we say, <laughs> but it's, verify, it's... seriously, verify everything. Like it, 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 what we say could be totally wrong. It, it just go, go research the stuff. If we say something that you're like, uh, I don't believe that for an instant. Well, by golly, don't. Go look it up. Absolutely. Well, good stuff, man. Thanks right. for sharing that with us, guys. Um, I think I think we're gonna wrap it up there for tonight. Uh, anything, any anything you guys have to get off your chest before we before we peace out. Last thing I would say is maybe Will, can you give the actual um, exactly how the people can find our stuff on on through Facebook and Instagram. Uh, yeah, we are the Roof Perv, just like it sounds, all one word on uh, on Instagram and and three words on Facebook. Just I think it's at the Roof Perv on both. If you're looking up the whatever those little at things are called. And I think we're I think we're all four of us are pretty open too. If you find us on say through Facebook or something like that, send us messages, add us, and um, and I know for for me and I'm I'm. Can, I'm sure I can speak for the other three guys. Uh, we don't have all the answers or nowhere near all the answers, but um, lots of us are plugged into areas where we can get them, either through engineers or builders or architects or people that have been in the business. Uh, we'll, we'll do our damnedest to find the answers for you. So definitely hit us up, and um, we all love this stuff and would love to, to be able to kind of collectively find the answers for, for anything. Yeah, if we don't know the answer, we'll we'll make up a really good one. It sounds real though. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would just say just continually be a student. So as soon as you step away and you're no longer reading and researching 
you know, the data is constantly changing. One of the conversations we had earlier was, you know, if you grew up in the 70s as a, as a firefighter and what things you were fearing or what things you were concerned about are maybe our everyday night, our everyday fire ground today in a lot of organizations, it, maybe we don't have all the information. Maybe we didn't know all the information from back in those times. And so, you know, just because it was written doesn't necessarily mean that it's correct and to kind of go with what everybody else said is like, if you have an experience that is opposite of what was written or what somebody has told you, do some more research. And uh, maybe you were right. Maybe maybe something is different. Maybe maybe you can operate in a fashion that is different than what everybody else has been telling you. And um, I think data speaks volumes. And uh, the more that you get into researching stuff and you really look at this and you can articulate it really well, it's very difficult to argue against somebody when they say, well, we're killing a lot of firefighters on roofs and you produce documentation like, well, you know, this is what the this is what the data shows, and it doesn't look like we really are. So maybe we have a different problem, and um, and we all learn from it. So that's what I'd say. Excellent, uh, very cool. So then, lastly, uh, if you're connected to this podcast because you're listening to Refined by Fire, you need to to check out James on the Fire Engineering Blog Talk Radio Network. His show is called The Built Environment. And if you're reaching this show through his, then you can check out Refined by Fire and you can get that on iTunes or um, whatever podcatcher you're using on Android. You guys, you guys link to that on the Brothers in Battle page too, don't you? The Refined by Fire podcast? Yeah, the Refined by Fire po- podcast is hosted on the Brothers in Battle page and it is a production of Brothers in Battle. So yeah, if you, on the web, it can be found at that, at that web page, yes. Okay. Very Absolutely. Good, All right, well, thanks a lot. It is getting late. Rob needs to uh, open another bottle of wine. Will needs to drink another seven glasses of milk. And James need to, needs to go skin all of his beaver pelts. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie's old. Doing? He needs to go to bed. All right, boys. I wish you all well. Thank you for making the time tonight. And we will catch you soon. Thanks for listening to this month's episode of Refined by Fire. Hit us up on our Facebook page. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you think we can do better. And let me know who you'd like to hear from in the future. Also, please be sure to check out Elkhart Brass. They're supporting us, so please support them. Elkhart Brass is a division of Safefleet. Safefleet owns a bunch of different brands like Elkhart Brass, like FRC, Foam Pro, and ROM. A bunch of companies that can help you out if you're specking an apparatus. They might have some stuff that you're interested in. LED lighting, flow meters, roll-up doors, etc. So if you're in the market specking a new apparatus, uh, make sure you check out what Safely can do. Mm-hmm.